previously on Killing Lorenzen. Honey, it had been 10 years since the baby was in that house. Everybody was ecstatic. He was joyful, he was playful, but he always wanted a ball. Well, <laughs> you know, when you, I think he grew like seven inches over a summer. Look at him in the bed and he's growing. <clears throat> and I knew that I knew enough to make him into a ball player. Well, I think he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to be known as a rebounder, not not just a star. He he really fought for his own. If if it was something that he really wanted, he was just determined. He said, "When I grow up, I want to play NBA basketball." Herb actually. Uh, had talked to me at one of the games and told me that that there was a good chance that Lorenzo might not be back for his senior year. Lorenzo wanted to be his dad his last night. You know, no doubt about it, he wanted to be a right. So that's what he wanted, I said, okay. A new last name and a new city to call home. The Oxford, Mississippi native who'd been born Lorenzen Vassar took his father's last name during his final years of high school and would soon relocate to his dad's hometown of Memphis, Tennessee for his senior year. You need to come to Memphis and stay with me. And I'm gonna send you over to another friend of mine, Fred Hoyt, at Booker T. Washington. And he didn't really want to leave at that particular time. I hated to see him go. But I also knew that if my dad had told me this is what you need to do, then that's what I would have done. And that's what I told Lorenzo. I knew that was going to make his chance of going to the NBA much, much better than being in Oxford. Memphis meant big-time exposure for Lorenzen's basketball career. It also meant spending more time with his new girl. I was like, boy, 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 I see why your brain the way it is. She done put some stuff on you you never had put on you in your life. She done blowed your mind. The distance between Oxford and Memphis is only 80 miles. But this new trajectory, the path it would put Lorenzen on, and the new person he was sharing it with would change his life forever. Well, I've often wondered, especially if, you know, maybe he had stayed here, it might have been a little different, you know. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's life. And life's not always good. That was a big mistake, but I, I don't want to you know, talk about that much. It happened, and we all know the consequences of it, so... This is Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder. I'm Zanetta Lowe. And I'm April Thompson. And this is Episode 2, Memphis. When it comes to basketball, there is nothing bigger in Memphis. And there is nothing like the city's support for local teams. Before there was an NBA team called the Grizzlies, before the NFL made a brief stop shunning Memphis on the way to Nashville, basketball in all its glory was something everyone in Memphis could rally around. How um, big was high school, covering high school? High school sports, especially basketball, 
was really big because it was really a lot of that's all the city had. So in the summer of 1993, when whispers began that a new top rated basketball player was headed to town, excitement was brewing. Uh, my name is Glenn Carver. I'm a former sports director at WREG. Our colleague Glenn Carver covered sports in Memphis for more than 30 years. You would hear his name. And then now when the scuttlebutt started that he might transfer to BTW for senior year, well, the city went crazy because they're thinking, well, without question now, you know, we're going to get Lorenzen. Lorenzen Wright was already a big-time basketball prospect. He'd led his Lafayette Commodores on a state championship run his sophomore season. College coaches were clamoring at the 6-11 center, who'd soon be named a McDonald's All-American. Mike Foster was Lorenzen's coach at Lafayette. They were all good athletes, and, uh, but Lorenzen was special. While Lorenzen left Lafayette before his senior year, his mark on the school and community is still evident today. Principal Glenn Kitchens was not at Lafayette when Lorenzen played here, but he knows plenty about the basketball star's legacy and showed us around campus. Now, what do y'all want to do first? Do you want to see the gym and yeah. get some pictures? Sure. Of the shirt? Okay. On a far wall up high, the principal points out three jerseys with numbers. One of them says, Right, 42. And it commemorates the retiring of his jersey. He's a very familiar name in this community, and everybody knows who Lorenzen Wright is. Like the current basketball coach, Brad Gray. Hey, Coach Gray. As far as boys' basketball goes, he's the best that's ever played here. I can't think of anyone that's been better, at least since I've been alive. So he's just left a legacy of, of greatness. At the for the basketball program here. Inside what's now the middle school gym, the old Lafayette Commodore's logo is still on the wall. It's the old high school gym where Lorenzen played. The scoreboards are new, but the basketball goals are the same. Middle school principal Chad Chisholm says when Lorenzen played here, everyone knew he had something special. And he was the attraction. You know, <laughs> people far and wide were coming in because it's like, you know, when you had an opportunity to see him, you took advantage of it. There's the one or two cases where they stand out and you just go, whatever it is, that it, you know it. And without question, he had it, you know, and it was, it was, it's just that rare quality. And it's so rare that you know it when you see it. And that rare talent is exactly why Lorenzen's father, Herb, wanted him to move to Memphis, a city where people don't just play basketball. It's a way of life. But it is a rallying point. You get into an elevator, you're on a bus, you're in a car, you're at a party. Everyone's talking about the Tigers or the Grizzlies, and it brings people together. That notion of togetherness, everybody behind the same team, that in itself has historical roots that would eventually tie to Lorenzen. Here's sports columnist Jeff Calkins. Basically, the best black players that always had to leave Memphis to play. Bingo. Smith is, is uh, uh, among them. And so... Um, so along come Larry Finch and Ronnie Robinson from Melrose High School, and African-Americans in Memphis didn't necessarily want them to go to Memphis. But their decision to do so changed history. And, um, and what people will tell you is that that, quote unquote, brought the city together. And obviously there are limits to that, but it did, I really do believe, provide a something, a rallying force for the city at a time of deep 
trouble. One of the players on that team was Fred Horton. Horton was a North Carolina native. Came to Memphis in 1968. The same year Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. Horton chose Memphis State, he says, to be a part of something special. Larry Finch and I was teammates, and uh, I was a year ahead of Larry. And Ryan Robinson, I was a year ahead of them. Uh, yeah, we had a great team. We had some good teams that year. We were actually really the teams that really paved the way of teams that you see in Memphis now to this day. So when Herb Wright made the decision to move his son Lorenzo to Memphis for his senior year of high school, he was doing so with this in mind. You need to come to Memphis and stay with me. And I'm going to send you over to another friend of mine, Fred Horton, at Booker T. Washington. Fred Horton coached basketball at Booker T. Washington for decades. He retired in 2013. When Lorenzo first got here, everybody was trying to get a hold to him, trying to get him to play for him. But, you know, I had the inside scope on the whole deal with his father and I. A lot of people didn't realize, you know, that Herb and I was very close friends at the time. Remember, Horton played with Larry Finch and Ronnie Robinson, Herb Wright's old Melrose classmates, so they all came up in basketball together, cut from the same cloth. I knew that Coach Horton was going to be on his behind. Coach Horton, you know, we're a lot alike, so. And I, I went over and did some assistant, assistant coach with Coach Horton doing his uh, year there, doing Lorenzo's year there. Booker T. Washington itself has historic roots in South Memphis. Before integration, it was home to children of Memphis's black elite, along with the poor and working class. Deborah Marion is Lorenzo's mother. All the reason Herb didn't wanted him to go to BTW because everybody in Memphis who's a who's who went to BTW. And he went to name it, everybody that went, I don't care. He's at a good school. That's what I don't care who went then, but he's at a good school now for mine. That's what I'm talking about. Elsie Lewis Bailey was a BTW student who later became principal. A lot of history, a lot of students. We, we almost worship that school. We love it. She says they wanted to make sure Lorenzen got what he needed in sports and also in academics. I saw the track that they had him on in Mississippi. I'm not putting anybody down, I'm just talking facts. He, the, the track was a vocational track. Very good student, but on a, on a vocational track. And I knew that he wasn't getting into a D1 school and with that. So we were able to work some things out that uh, helped him. And he was such a go-getter. He was positive. And his, because Algebra 2 <laughs> probably is the hardest math course in the, you know, but he did it. He did one and two, not one and two. He did that in geometry or something like that the same year. But whatever we had to do to, to catch him up, to, to meet that, uh, his goal, he was highly motivated, highly motivated. And not only was he highly motivated, uh, uh, just his personality, how, uh, uh, educationally, his personality was, the kids loved him. He could get along with anybody. They just loved him. 
Deborah Marion also says the timing of the move made sense. She was already living in Memphis because her first husband's job relocated them. What was the transition like for Lorenzo? It was fine. Because, you know, he he used to being over his daddy's, like, spending nights, so it wasn't nothing. It just it's going to be just a longer stay. And my mom was here, too. But there was something else, or rather someone else, living in Memphis that would have much of Lorenzen's attention outside of basketball, a girl named Shara Robinson. Do you remember when Lorenzen first met Shara? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, uh, we were playing AU ball in Nashville. He was up there for the state state tournament, I think it was. Shara's father, Julius Robinson, was helping Herb coach that AAU team. Shara was in school up there. And I think it was our last game. She came to the gym to meet her father and she was moving out for some reason and you know dad asked some of the guys to, I think to help her load up some boxes in a U-Haul or something like that and that's kind of how I got started. Shara Yvette Robinson was born to Julius Robinson Sr. and Maxine Robinson in February of 1971. She grew up in Westwood, a community in southwest Memphis. Wanatah Street, where Shara's family lived, is lined with modest homes that for decades housed black working-class families. Oh, uh, when she's coming over here and out there playing, she probably was nine or ten years old. Billy Dabney lives across the street from Shara's family. On the day we went back to the neighborhood to find people who remembered Shara back then, Mr. Dabney was the only one we could find to tell us about a young Shara. Yeah, she's a sweet uh, young lady. When I, you know, from what I knew, she'd come over here with my son, and they'd play around, and, about, and they graduated together. And that's about the last... Part time, I seen Sharon. We tried speaking with Shara's brother, Julius Robinson, who still lives in their Westwood family home. The one with the cars, all the cars. I don't think the last time we came here that he was here. Someone came out of the house after we walked away but said Julius wasn't home, so I sent him a message on Facebook. I said, Hi, Julius. I'm Zanetta Lowe from WREG. I left a card at your house yesterday. I go on to say I'd like to speak with him and left my cell phone number for him to call. He responded and said, Speak to me about what? I told him we were working on an in-depth project about Lorenzen Wright and we were hoping to speak with some of Shira's family. You see, when we started this podcast, we wanted to learn as much about Shara Wright, or should I say Shara Robinson, as we could. Not just the woman you see now on the mugshot, but the person she was long before she even met Lorenzen. Someone's child, sister, friend. We talked to some of Shara's close friends, classmates, even relatives, but none of them wanted to go on the record. Of course, we also tried to speak with Shara herself. We asked through her attorneys, then wrote her a letter, but didn't get a response. Okay, Julius Robinson has responded to my message. What, what did he say? 
he said, no, and thanks for your time. Well, okay. I told him I appreciated the response and said if he changed his mind, just give us a call. Then he elaborated, saying, quote, I know most of the public dialogue has been up to this point a one-sided affair from Lorenzen's family's point of view. I would like my family's response to remain private as it has in the past. I wish you good luck on your endeavor to create your story. Thanks. End quote. But one person who could tell us about Shara's days at Westwood High School was her band director, Ricky Richardson. Got to Westwood in 87. When Richardson arrived at Westwood, it was already a powerhouse of a band with a stellar reputation. I mean, everywhere we went, uh, Emerson Abel had really created a monster music program. And my job, as the principal said, was you got a Cadillac, keep the gas in. So I made sure I kept the gas in. <laughs> One of those students who was very much a part of that stellar band was a young clarinet player by the name of Shira Robinson. Richardson recalls their first meeting. I remember actually Shira said that, what the white boy gonna do? You know, real light-skinned, right? And the other band director was an older guy. She was teasing because of his light brown complexion about his ability to run a high school band molded in the style and culture of black college bands. Richardson says Shira excelled at playing the clarinet. Was she a leader in the band? Um, she was not section leader, uh, but she sat very close to the section leader. She was one of the best musicians in the band. But for her to play at such a, a fast rate, you know, we play Earth, Wind & Fire songs. You know, we play just about everything Earth, Wind & Fire has, and you know that that music is very technically challenging. She could play it like a champ, like most of the other people. They could, you know, there were some monster musicians in that band. I mean, uh, she could play that clarinet and seemed like playing it without a lot of effort. Richardson also recalls Cheryl Robinson having an outgoing personality. Near the back of the Westwood High School yearbook from 1989, there's a picture of the senior class favorites. Cheryl's wearing a denim jacket and matching cap. She was voted biggest flirt. Just fun, you know, fun kid. Uh, she's gonna make you laugh. She's gonna break some of the rules, maybe we'll get ready for that. But it was, you know, it was just, just being a kid, nothing, you know, outrageous. Just, just a high school kid, you know. Um, a little probably more mature than most, you know. She wasn't a little bitty girl as far as, you know, she looked very mature, but still a kid, you know, just had fun in school. That maturity, though, there was a reason Cheryl needed to grow up fast. At home, her life was crumbling. I remember coming to the band room once and going in the instrument room, and she was sitting on the floor with her hand just sitting on the floor, you know, crying. You know, it's tough to see a student, you know, any, any kid crying, just trying to find out what was going on with her. And she was very uh, distraught about, you know, her mother. And the plight, you know, it's a tough thing when you can see down the road what may come. And uh, that was a little tough for her. Just try to talk her through it. You know, it's hard to get past that pain, but just, that was, that was something tough. Shara's mom was dying. And sick, yeah, my mom was sick. Uh, and, you know, trying to deal with your mother and your mother's sick, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's a tough illness. It's not like a cold, you know. So for a child to have to deal with that, it's a tough thing. Shara Robinson graduated from Westwood High School in 1989 and went on to attend Tennessee State University. Her mom passed away when she was around 20 years old. Richardson says Shara later thanked him for his guidance and advice.
She wrote me a letter, matter of fact, after she got there. Uh, I remember her saying, it was interesting, those conversations we used to have, I used to reject them all the time. <laughs> but I get it now. So which is cool. That's what you want from a child. You know, I didn't get it. Now I got it. Shara would later leave Nashville and Tennessee State. And remember, her dad's AAU team helped her pack up during a move. And Lorenzen Wright was on that team. And how old was Lorenzen? Lorenzen had to be about 16. 16. I've been 17 in November. Yeah, she was robbing the cradle. So tell me, when do you remember knowing that Shira was his girlfriend or? When I went on my mama house and saw this grown woman in this blue string bikini, little squares up here and a little square right here. I'm like, mom, my mama was like, get out of that room, get out of that room. No, mom, this was no young girl sitting this picture. This is a damn woman. When did you first meet her? I met her like that next summer after that picture. Oh, so a whole year. Mm-hmm. I ain't want to meet her. Why not? Because how you going to sit your body out like this, like for sale? So that, that would turn off for me, like that showing this boy all your body. Show him your mind, what's in your head, not what you see outside. Some of Lorenzen's friends, however, saw it a bit differently. Here's Cedric Henderson, Lorenzen's AAU teammate at the time. I'm, I'm a 17, 18-year-old kid. He's, she's, she was in college. I'm, I'm praising him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, dude, got a college girl. He in high school. Like, yo, dude, you know. Michael Gibson was Lorenzen's childhood friend from Oxford, and he says it was a bit of a surprise. Oh, my God. That was like, uh, it shocked me because uh, I can remember being in the Foot Locker in the mall in Oxford, and Lorenzen was coming through. He saw me. He's like, hey, Mike, what's up? This is my girlfriend right here. I'm like, okay, but she looked much older, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Herb says he tried to intervene at first. Did you ever try to talk to him about maybe... Yeah, but a little too late for the talking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I talked to him, but <laughs> you know it's not going to go very far. Uh, you know, after certain things don't happen, they don't happen, and there's a whole lot you can do about it. But I kept him focused on what he needs to stay focused on, for sure. Focusing on basketball was what Lorenzen continued to do, even with Shara showing up all the time. Elsie Lewis-Bailey was the principal when Lorenzen was at BTW. Do you ever recall seeing his girlfriend at least, you know, all coming up? every day? I sure do. I remember um, his girlfriend um, coming up to the school in the evenings after to observe practices, and yeah, I do remember that. And I remember um, her wearing a, a shirt, uh, said the right way, W-R-I-G-H-T way. And I knew then that uh, that was the, the girl. Antonio Harris was one of Lorenzen's teammates at Booker T. Washington. He's now the head coach of the boys' basketball team there. She used to come to some of our practices. She used to, even though we had closed practice, she would sit up in the corner waiting on Lorenzen. Most of my players had girlfriends, but I did not allow them to come to practice. The only reason why I allowed her to come to my practice is because of a personal relationship I had with uh, 
superb and, and arisen. He was in love. There was this girl. Now that I look at it now in retrospect, we said I can go back and do something differently. But at the time, Lorenzen was excelling in both sports and academics. He'd adjusted to his new school and team. And he enjoyed being there. He was, he was, he enjoyed being a, a, an athletic, a superstar, high school superstar. But he enjoyed being there with us. You could tell it the way he got involved in so many things. He's an unusual young man. And when I look back to think about, you know, he's just unusual. He had a beautiful personality, uh, getting involved in things. You would have thought that one year we had been playing together for more than that. Uh, once he got there, he fit in perfectly with us. But Lorenzen was a, a extremely hard worker. Uh, he pretty much molded himself along with his father, uh, Herb, because he had him doing two-a-day, three-a-day training sessions to prep him uh, for the intensity of Memphis basketball because every night you had to bring it, and he brought it. But Lorenzen's much-anticipated BTW debut would be delayed. He was suspended for seven games of the regular season for participating in an unsanctioned All-Star game. So his return to the court was a night everyone was watching. Listen to this clip from an interview with Lorenzen that night. It means a lot to me, you know. I want to come out and give everybody a good showing of me my first time out and have a good game and, and a win. Lorenzen Wright's much ballyhooed senior year started with a fizzle, but last night it resumed with a bang. Wright was looking to make up for lost time with showtime. It was more excitement than jitters. You know, I wanted to get out there, win a game, and show the, look, show the crowd a little bit. By this time, Lorenzen had also made the decision to stay in the Bluff City and attend the University of Memphis. Much like everything else surrounding his career at the time, it was a big deal. So now not only do you have the city uh, excited about, you know, here's a high school team ranked number one, and but you've got now Tiger fans who may not follow high school, but they say, okay, this kid's going to be ours, you know, so they start following. So, yeah, he got a lot of coverage. The good news for BTW center Lorenzen Wright is he's whittled his choices down to just two schools, Memphis State and Ole Miss. Wright told me today he'll make that choice tomorrow, but he's not giving any indications which way he's leaning. No, not really. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be Memphis State or Ole Miss. <laughs> what was it like? the recruiting process. It was awful. People, coaches would call me in the middle of the night saying, well, I know I'm not supposed to be calling you right now, but I want you to consider this college, that college. Every, every mail day, mailbox full of mail. I'm talking, he had bags of mail when he would come to my house. Bags. Because he would give them my address. So Herb didn't get that news. I got all that college news. It came to my address. And every day, like, this boy, this boy. But I'm knowing once Larry and Herb get through, it's going to be Memphis Bound. We all knew where he was going to go play. You know, he was going to play, go play for my, my good friend. I wanted to send him somewhere where I know he was going to look out for him. And I knew I could get that with Larry. So all the speculation, because I, I remember it, it was big new. Everybody's trying to figure, everybody's trying to figure out where y'all knew where he was going, and he knew. Oh yeah. And Finch knew. Yeah. At the time, Memphis, you get more exposure. This is a bigger program, and he knew that, and 
he was ready to roll. Lorenzen and the BTW basketball team was also on a roll. With his college decision finally behind him, it was time to finish out the season. The intensity that we had, because we all set out for a goal to win the state championship that year. Here's some audio from an old VHS tape, a highlight reel of BTW's championship run. Corner Harris. Harris shot good. Harris with another three. Antonio Harris. He said two in a row. He's triple teams, takes it anyway, and a two-hand step shot Lorenzen by Wright. Lorenzen Wright. You're in the playoff time. You cannot take any team for granted right now. I don't care if a team is 0-20. and 20. BTW lost in the playoffs, but the season itself was a big win for the school, community, and Lorenzen. It's a bit hard to hear, but that's Lorenzen speaking at a pep rally, congratulating all of his teammates on doing a good job, despite the ups and downs. Lorenzen racked up all sorts of awards, all district, all region, all state, and he was a McDonald's All-American, staying in Memphis to play for his hometown Tigers, like his teammate Cedric Henderson. So it was a fun year. It was a fun time for us, especially being a young man from Memphis. Made it even more special. Made it even more special. I mean, if you look at that roster, I think we were probably 80% Memphis guys. So, you know, that, that was rare at that time. Um, you know, Larry did a great job of keeping kids at the, from the city who play well, keeping them here. Henderson was a year ahead of Lorenzen at Memphis. He's now the head men's basketball coach at Southwest Tennessee Community College. So where do you want to talk? Is there space in your office? Well, you're in the coach's office. Cedric Henderson, head men's basketball coach. What kind of player was he? A very intense, high-motored, high-energy guy. Um, played with a lot of passion. Played with a lot of emotions. Um, like I tell people all the time, he wasn't the greatest skill set guy in the world, but you know you can depend on him. You know, he's the guy that you wanted to go to war with. He was just truly a warrior. Only one season separated Lorenzen and former U of M and NBA star and now Tiger head coach Penny Hardaway. I left the year before Lorenzen came in and, um, you know, I obviously wish I had a chance to play with him. Uh, that one year I felt like we could have had an opportunity for a national, a national title, but... Um, you know, it just happened that way. But honestly, it was it was just, uh, I guess it was meant for him to have his own team, for me to leave and him for him to have his own team. He was sort of the leader of that team. All right, back on the Jeff Calkins show. Jeff Calkins is a former columnist at the Commercial Appeal, now working for an online publication, The Daily Memphian, and in radio. He started covering Lorenzen while he was in college. Big guy who could run the court, um, dunk with ferocity, really good defensive player. Some people will be 6'11 and say, well, you know, I'll try to use my height and just get the ball that comes to me. His dad instilled in him, you go get the ball. You don't wait for the ball to bounce to you. There's no excuse for you not to get a rebound, so you better get every rebound. At the end of the 40 minutes, the numbers showed Lorenzen Wright played the most complete game of anyone on the court. I got 20-some 20, 20, 20 points and 20 rebounds, and I think I did fairly well. 
my dad told me that if I slowed myself down and just shot the shot, nobody can block it. So if I, I just slowed my game down a little bit, took my time and shot the jump hook and I hit it. Here's the voice of the late legendary U of M player and coach Larry Finch after the same game, Lorenzen's freshman year. Lorenzen has given us everything we could ask for and more. By this point, Lorenzen had developed another trademark to his game. And I always remember when Lorenzen would go up and get a rebound, he would let out this primal scream. And that just charged the fans up. They, I mean, he would go in and grab that ball, come down, elbows extended, and just howl and just scream, and people would go nuts. Energize the team, energize the arena. Now, is it true that he used to scream when he dunked? How? Okay, tell me. How? You know, it's like a wolf howl in the woods. And that's how he would let it out. He said, because he would be so excited, he had to do something, so he just howled. Like, ooh, like that. He was great. He averaged a double-double, uh, many double-digit points and double-digit rebounds in both of his two years at Memphis. Uh, they had a solid team. For Memphis, much of its success can be attributed to its center, Lorenzen Ryan, in only a second year, but at this point, maybe second to none. Lorenzen and the Tigers were attracting national attention, like on this night when he'd face fellow center Marcus Camby of UMass, who was coached at the time by future Tiger coach John Calipari. Now Ryan has a few more pounds on Camby. On points, they're nearly even. I've always said, you know, we got a team, and that's what we're going to try to keep. You know, I'm not going to try to go out, go out and do anything different than we've been doing. I'm just going to go out and play hard, and hopefully we'll win. Lorenzen was maturing on the court, and his life was expanding in other ways, too. While in college, his girlfriend, Shara, became pregnant with their first child. Monte Nevels met Lorenzen when his girlfriend and Shara were roommates. She says, well, she's telling me about what her plans are and some of the things that she wants to do, and, and they're deceitful. And I said, what in particular? Well, she wants a baby. I said, what do you mean she wants a baby? She wants a baby with Lorenzen. I mean, now or down the road if they get married? No, she wants a baby now. What did you think when they told you they were pregnant? I already had heard it in the streets before she told me. I know I told her, she said, oh, y'all got a surprise coming. I said, I know, and it's a boy I heard. Deborah says she immediately felt like it was a trap. She going to figure out how to use this baby to manipulate Lorenzen. Neville says Lorenzen was like putty in Shara's hands. Shara had an ability that she could persuade Lorenzen. She did some things to him, you know, sexually that he had never experienced before. Uh, my understanding is, and you know, she was great at what she did. I mean, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't get over it. Lorenzen was preparing for his future, which now included a girlfriend and baby boy, Lorenzen Jr. I'm a family-oriented person, so my family's going to have a real big part to do with everything that's going on. Which made the decision to turn pro a lot easier. Lorenzen Wright's choice to become an NBA player has gone from testing the waters to no turning back. Herb Wright, Lorenzen's dad, agrees this is the right choice. There's no use of prolonging it any longer. We feel like we need to commit ourselves. I said, no, nah, remember when you went to college, I told you that's what you're going to have to get for me at your college degree. Just like when you got your diploma, you had to pass it to me. When it's your college degree, you're going to pass it to me, too. Then, because he had set up a meeting for me and him and Herb to go, then he just what he asked me, he said, Mama, when am I going to get a job that's going to pay me $1 million with a degree if I stay in school? I thought about that for about 10 minutes. I said, oh, when you say you leave? On the next episode of Killing Lorenzen. The Los Angeles Clippers select Lorenzen Wright from the University of Memphis. 
I could hear my heart in my ear. It was like five million over a three-year period. I see nothing but the demise of his career now. I said, Lorenzen, if you take her to California with us, with you, she's going to be the death of you. Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder, is a production of WREG-TV in Memphis. It's reported and hosted by us, Zanetta Lowe and April Thompson. Our editors are Michael Gates and Josh Strong. Original music, Lorenzen's theme by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of web and social. Eric Lipford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. Also, a special thanks to Coach Antonio Harris of Booker T. Washington for use of his video for this episode. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Arnhem, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate and share it.